message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. We've all heard the story of Noah. So that's where we're going to be turning to. I'm going to give you guys a couple seconds to turn there. But before we do... We all, we all recognize and we all acknowledge the fact that sometimes names carry weight. When you hear the President of the United States is coming to your town, uh, sometimes it causes an uproar, sometimes it causes excitement. But either way, we, we hear n- these names carry power with them. And I remember about seven years ago, one name reigned supreme online and everywhere that you turned. It was the name of Chuck Norris. And in light of the fact that he was born the day before World War II ended, I'm going to read some quotes about him that I think are be very helpful just to show us the power of a name. When Chuck Norris kicks a bucket, the bucket dies. Chuck Norris has already been to Mars, and that's why there's no signs of life. Chuck Norris is the reason Waldo is hiding. Death once had a near Chuck Norris experience. I bring all these up jokingly for comedic value, obviously, but the name Chuck Norris, whenever we hear it, we think of all the funny jokes. We think of his name, his famous roundhouse kick. But names have significance. Um, They carry power. Sometimes when you're naming a child, sometimes you'll name it after someone who is close to you or someone who's had an impact upon your life. Sometimes you just think it's a pretty name. But very often we'll we'll name things after maybe uh, bands or maybe it's an artist or an author that has really had an influence. Maybe it's a a relative that uh, we want to hold their name and keep their legacy going strong. So we, we create names. Other times people are just named like Bill. Or Phil. (laughs) But when we come to this passage today, when we come to the story of Noah, names carry significant weight and significant importance. And as you guys turn there, and I give you guys a few I gave you guys a few minutes to turn there. But as we're turning there, I'm going to start off in verse 25. We just, had, we just finished the story of Cain and Abel. And right after Cain and Abel, there's this long genealogy. And the genealogy is to build up and to connect Adam to Noah. And that connection there, because Noah is the next significant figure. And if you guys remember, I explained that genealogy structure the book of Genesis. And this genealogy connects Adam to Noah. That's the big purpose of this genealogy. So now when we come to verse 25, it says, Methuselah had lived 187 years, and he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Then here's where we start to see the significance of names. When Lamech lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and his name was Noah saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from our painful toil of our hands. That's a long name. Noah seems a good short abbreviation of that for us. But that was what Lamech named his son for. If you guys remember back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the land and He made the work of the land difficult. He made it difficult for them to work. And He says, By the sweat of, the brow, of your brow... 
you will work. They're called to work and keep the land, and now it's difficult because of sin. And now, they also were promised that one day a seed would come from the line of Eve. And this seed would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent and fix the sin problem. So now, what does Lamech do? He names his son Noah, which means... Out of the ground the Lord is cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and our painful toils. Lamech believed that his son Noah was going to be the one that delivered them from the curse that God had placed upon them. He believed that he was the promised son. He put his hope in this promise and he was hoping that Noah would be the one that delivered them. He was hoping that Noah would be the one that would deliver them from this curse of the ground. Who would save them from sin. We're going to see if he lives up to that great expectation. Verse 30. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And after Noah 500 years old, and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And when he began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born to them. Where have we heard this multiply phrase from? Back in Genesis 1. Adam calls, or God calls Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. So they're obeying the Lord. They're being fruitful and they're multiplying. Yet sin is still there. They need a Redeemer to redeem them from this. Work is still difficult. Labor is still difficult for women. They need someone to come and save them. Now, back to chapter 6. And the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as them wives they, as they choose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim, the sons of God, came after the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were mighty men who were old, and the men of renown. If you guys remember back to Cain and Abel, Listen to how it describes, or not Cain and Abel, back to Adam and Eve. How, did, how is it described when she saw the fruit on the tree? It was attractive to her eyes. So what are these angels? If you remember back to my sermon on 1 Peter 3, we talked about how these were angels who were having relations with humans. And as a result of that, they were cursed and they were put in the ground. And that's addressed in 1 Peter 3. But, why did they do this? It's because... They saw that they were attractive. Just like Adam and Eve saw that the the fruit on the tree was attractive and it enticed her to sin. What's this mean for us? How does this relate to us? We don't want just a bunch of head knowledge. Why is this significant for us today? Because everywhere we see in Scripture sin being brought in, it's attractive, it's enticing. They see the tree and it is of something to be delighted for. It's something that, that they wanted to long for. These angels saw these women. They were attractive. They, they drew them to them. They enticed them. Why is that important for us? Because sin is attractive. It's not something that you see and you say, ooh, yuck, and you flee from. No, it's very often something that is very appealing to your eye. It may be the coworker who's drawing near to you. It may be that relationship that you've longed for. Maybe, maybe it's a friend who's getting close to you when you're married and you don't realize something's coming. It's enticing to you. 
Maybe that job that you could just step on someone, you could put someone down and it'll help you move forward. It's a small thing that you see this job and you say, hey, I'm going to abandon this in order to pursue this job. Sin is enticing. It's like when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the serpent. He offered Him kingdoms if He would just bow the knee. Why is that significant? Because Satan is trying to offer him something tempting to him. He's trying to to persuade him. He's trying to give him something that looks attractive. But how does Jesus respond? He responds with the Word of God. How did Jesus combat it? By preaching to him. Sin may look nice, but just like Satan in the wilderness, he will not be able to fulfill that which he promises. And Jesus knew that. It may look good, it may look enticing, but it never will satisfy you. It will never satisfy that great hole in your heart. It's not going to be something that you look at and say gross. It's going to be something that you're tempted to. And that's when you preach the Word of God. Next. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intentions of his thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Very often we'll get caught up in this passage and we'll try to explain what's it mean that he regretted, was it repented. The same word for grieved. It it hurt his heart. You guys see that? Don't get too caught up in the theology of this section. Do you see the significance of this? Sin hurts the heart of the Lord. When you sin, you are grieving the Lord. Sin is not taken lightly by our God. Your sins matter. They're not insignificant. My mentor always said that God is not up there as the divine janitor picking up the rug, acting like your sins aren't there and dusting the mother under and dropping the mat, acting as if they're not even there. No, they hurt His heart. That's why we flee from sin. Because they do matter. When you're enticed, remember, it hurts the heart of the Lord. It grieves Him. The ESV says it grieves the Lord. The New American Standard says it grieves the heart of the Lord. That's where I'm getting this idea that it it pains the Lord. Sin is not a good thing. Now down to verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out every man whom I've created from the earth, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in his eyes of the Lord. So what do we have going on here? Sin, rather than, if you remember back back, it talks about one day the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. The goal was for the whole earth to be filled. Adam were to be fruitful and multiply, and they were to have children, and they were to have children, and over and over again, the goal was for the whole earth to declare God's glory and have people who are worshiping the Lord and glorifying the Lord. So now, instead of the whole earth glorifying God, what has happened? The whole earth is filled with evil. So what does he do? He decides to destroy it. 
It's an act of decreation. We always hear about recreation. He's going to recreate, he's going to make us new. This is an act of decreation. He's going to destroy the earth and start it fresh. It's destruction. God's judgment is going to be placed upon these people. Skip down to verse 11 now. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of the Lord, in, the si- in God's sight. And the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. And all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through him. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make all the rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark. Finish it um, to a cubit above and set the door above the ark in its side. And make it with lower second and third decks. Behold, I will bring a flood of waters onto the earth and destroy all flesh which is its breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish a covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep it, and to keep them alive with you. And you shall be male and female, and the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, and every creeping thing on the ground according to their kinds. You ever, you ever notice this, this kinds language, two of each kind? It almost sounds like it's going back to creation. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah said this, or Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of clean animals, male and mate, and pair the animals that are not clean, and male and its mate, and seven pairs of their kinds of the heavens, and also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, and forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the earth. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. I'm going to skip down just a little bit further. So then the judgment waters come upon them, and God destroys everything. And this is what happens next. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. Verse 24. Now verse 8, or chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with them in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over them, and the waters subsided. Here's what's important. God just pours out His judgment upon all these people. He floods the entire earth. And only a few are saved as a result of that. Then what happens? It says, God remembers. He remembers them. This is not as if God's been up into heaven and He's like, what happened? I forgot. You know, like He's busy and then He catches Himself. Oh yeah, I was supposed to save those people. This is not what's going on. He hasn't forgot anything. This remembering language is what the psalmist says. Remember me, Lord. Remember your covenants you made with us. It's calling upon the Lord to look down upon you. And it says, the Lord remembered them. He answered their prayers. He looks down upon them. Why is that important for us? 
when we pray. That's how we need to pray. Lord, remember me. Remember your covenant with me. Remember that which you promised in baptism. That all those who are buried with Christ will be raised in Him. Lord, remember me in this time of struggle. Lord, remember me. Let me read this next part here, verse 6. Then it came about at the end of the forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the earth. But the dove found no nestling, no resting place for the sole of its foot. So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took, and, uh, took her and brought her into the ark himself. So he waited yet another seven days. Again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, her beak was a, a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water had abated on the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days, and then he sent out the dove. She did not return to him again. Um, early in church history, one of the early church fathers said, uh, and there's some significance to this, and we're going to get into the explanation of it, but one of the early church fathers says, this dove never found its resting place until it fell on Christ at his baptism. I don't think the dove has been flying around his entire life for 2,000 years until it finds rest on Christ at baptism. But what he's pointing out... You guys remember back at creation how I said the Spirit hovered over the water? And literally the word means fluttered. It's like a bird is hovering over creation. When God created the earth, it's as if the Spirit hovers over this first creation. Well, God just destroyed the entire earth. And it's now He's recreating it. And this, now we have once again a dove flowing out, flying out over the waters, over the new creation. And I think just like the early church fathers, what they were getting at is what I want to say. I don't think the dove was literally flying as they said, but what I do think they were getting at, and the point of this is, is Christ is that new creation. And that's why the dove falls on creation. Christ is recreating the world through us. We are His new humanity. Christ has come and defeated sin, and now He's making new creations. We are that new creation. We're called to go out and show the world what it looks like when Christ rules your life and your heart. That's the significance of this. That's why He's sending the dove. The dove is flying out over creation. Now we're going to skim down just a little bit longer. Now it came about 600 it came about in 601st year, in the first month, on the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark, and look, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you everything that is of all the flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that you may breed abundantly on the earth. Here's this phrase again. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. It's almost as if Noah is, is picking up where Adam left off. He's starting new. So Noah went out. 
and his sons and his sons' wives and their wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves out, went out with them, their families from their earth. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took every clean animal and every clean bird and bird offerings on the altar. Notice how this new creation, how does it start off? They get off the boat and it's as if they're a brand new Adam and Eve in a new land. How do they start off? Is Noah the fulfillment? Is he the promised seed? It looks like it. He starts off and he worships the Lord. He builds an altar. It's a form of worship. He starts off doing what Adam and Eve should have started off doing. He starts off worshiping the Lord. God has just destroyed the earth and all its sin. And then Noah gets off the boat and he starts worshiping. Next week we'll see how he does not fulfill this promised seed. But it looks like he is doing well. Verse 21, Then the Lord smelled the smoothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And the Lord blessed Noah and said to his sons, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of the Lord, or the fear of you and the dread shall come upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, and all flesh of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I think if you look in the Hebrew here, somehow or another it connects to bacon. That's not true. Probably ribs from last night. But... Everything that moves shall be food for you. Skip down to verse 7 here. And you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you, with you and your offspring, and every creature or every living creature that is in it, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as it came out of the ark. For uh, It is for every beast of the earth. I shall establish my covenant with you that shall never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of flood. Never again. This is the sign. Or, and God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign between me and you when he brings the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become the flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember my everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. You see this rainbow language. Back in this time, there was this thing called a suzerain treaty. I'm going to teach you a little history here. What a suzerain treaty was, you had a greater king would come to a lesser king, a vassal king. And the greater king would come to this king and he says, I agree not to kill all of your people if you will agree to be my partner. Naturally, the lesser king didn't want to die, so he says, yes, I agree to this. And they would make a covenant with one another. 
the greater king with the lesser king because the lesser king didn't want to die. Then they would slaughter an animal. This animal slaughter, what, the reason they did this was to be a sign that the lesser king was saying in essence, let this be done to me as it was done to this animal if I do not obey this covenant, the terms of this covenant. So when they would see this animal, they would remember. They would, the animal would be slaughtered and they would remember that if I disobey this covenant with this greater king, let that be done to me. And it was supposed to keep them in fear. But now, God the greater king, what is he doing? He's putting a bow. Literally, it's like a bow and arrow in the sky is the way it's presented. He's pointing the bow up towards himself. And God is saying, let it be done to me if I do not keep this covenant with you. Let the judgment be placed upon me if I am unfaithful to my covenant. That's comforting. God has bound Himself in covenants with us. Though we should be the one being bound. If you think about this, when Noah came, or I mean, when God came to Abraham, we'll see this soon, and they slaughter an animal, they cut it in half, and where Abraham was supposed to walk through the animal saying, let this be done to me if I don't obey the covenant with the Lord. Who walks through the middle of the animal? God does. God is the one who is faithful to this covenant. When we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. That's our hope for salvation. Because we will be unfaithful to the Lord. We will not give Him the worship that He deserves. Our hope is in the faithfulness of God. That He came and lived the faithful life. That His righteousness then becomes our righteousness. That is the gospel. That God was faithful when we were unfaithful. Noah will fall here. He establishes a covenant with the Lord. Then he is unfaithful to the Lord. But the Lord remains faithful because the Lord is good. And He is unchanging. The Lord hates sin. He let the earth be filled with sin, yet He still did good. He initiated this. He redeemed man. We're prone to look at this story and think, this story doesn't have much to do with me. We don't have any great floods that are filling the earth. We don't have any, any times that I have to worry about. It's the whole earth being flooded and I have to build a boat. I know if I needed a boat built, I'm going to rob but I don't think we have to worry about that. So we often hear this story and we think, this has nothing to do with me. But it does. Remember how it says, sin grieves the heart of the Lord? We all grieve the heart of the Lord when we sin. And we all deserve His judgment, His wrath being placed upon us. That's what sin is. Those who are in sin are under the wrath of God. And there's one way to be delivered. It's to cling to the rock of Christ. Cling to our ark. Be found in the ark of Christ. It is through that that you're going to be saved from God's judgment waters. I think that's what Peter's picking up on 1 Peter 3 when he says, Baptism 
is like, and he compares baptism to that of being in the ark with Noah. God's judgment waters are placed upon us, but it is those who take refuge in Christ. Those are the ones who will be saved. It will be those who are saved from the wrath of God. Do you have a storm going on in your life? Do you have a hard time getting all your ducks in a row? Does it feel difficult? Are you going through struggles in life and you can't find rest? Rest in the ark of Christ. When the waters, storm waters are thrown against you, cling to Christ. Lean on Jesus. The storm will still be there, but you have Jesus. And that's all you need to get through the storm. And then to go out into this new world and show the world what it looks like to be ruled by King Jesus as a new humanity. Where are you in this story? Are you putting your faith in Christ? Is Jesus your hope and your salvation? Or are you under His wrath? We're going to get a pray and I'm going to invite Olya back up and we're going to play, uh, have a time.